0: Well, good morning and welcome to the summit. I'm Brian Agavino, the lead pastor. It's great to be with you. I This is a little weird to do this, but I'm going to do it. There's a blue F-150, or window's down, and it might be raining in a little bit here, so 2-W-E-Y-4-7. There you go. Got it. You're welcome, whoever that was. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9 this morning. If you have your Bibles and you want to jump there, uh, we're going to be looking at Verses 14 through 29, and I want to read it for us. As I do, I want to encourage you, uh, I want you to listen for all of the different characters in this passage and watch for their posture, what's going on in their minds and hearts. <clears throat> Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all these things are possible for him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. And what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience before? This passage comes immediately after the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus was on the top of the mountain, having a mountaintop experience. Some argue, actually, that the phrase mountaintop experience comes from that moment with the disciples, and this is what happens immediately following that encounter. And today, we're going to really unpack what happens here. If you haven't had a chance, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's sermon that DJ did. It directly connects with this passage, and this is really part two of last week's message, if you will. I personally have had a lot of mountaintop experiences. In fact, just this past week, had the opportunity with 15 other people from the summit to go to Guatemala and we visited a missionary couple that we support there Daniel and Brandy McIntyre just serving them alongside them in their ministry to pastors and different people in Guatemala we had the opportunity to go up into the mountains and serve in villages and deliver food to those in need in support of these pastors of those villages and their churches there, we were in the hospital, we went to the schools, we had all these different things that we were able to do. There was quite an experience, got home late on Friday night and are all glad to be back. And it was quite the mountaintop experience. I do have one small confession to make, however, to you that there were many of you two Sundays ago that I was telling, oh, when I look on my app on my phone, it says actually that it's going to be cooler there than it is going to be here. So when we landed in Guatemala City on Friday, and it was 100 degrees, and my app was saying 82, I said, we called Daniel, we texted with him, we're like, what's going on? And he said, oh, something changed with that app, with the iPhone weather app. Whatever it's connected to is wrong. (laughs) So our first day was 100 degrees, our second day was 106 degrees, and our third day was 103 degrees. And when Brandy McIntyre, who's lived in Guatemala for almost 20 years, says, I'm pretty sure it has never been this hot in June before. Do I look more slender to you guys? Yeah? Yeah, I am. It was hot. It was hot. We had a great trip. People ask, how was your trip? And it's a good question. But the answer to that is so hard. It was all the things. It was great. It was sad. It was heavy. It was dark. It was miraculous. It was beautiful. And there's so much to share. You know, sometimes as a pastor, we have these moments where um, when you plan things six months out and then you come to a moment like today and you go, man, God, it seems beyond ironic that this passage would come on the week after a mission trip. And as I was this week in Guatemala, I couldn't help but see how significant, and important this passage is in relation to what many of us had just experienced. So I'd ask you again, have you ever experienced a mountaintop experience? Have you ever had one? That moment where you felt the presence of God and the closest of God, the transforming power of God in a tangible way, not just kind of, but where it was deeply moving to you, and then very quickly was disappointed, distraught, and disillusioned when you came back to the sobering reality of our world. Today's passage is an important, powerful, and very helpful juxtaposition for us. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three gospel writers juxtaposed the story of the mountaintop experience of Jesus and the transfiguration, where God and Moses and Elijah appear to declare who Jesus is. And the transcendence, tangible experience of God is so real, with the sobering reality of a demon-possessed boy, a desperate father, and discouraged disciples. So much so that Jesus here in the middle of this passage says, O faithless generation, how long do I have to be with you? Jesus provides for us here a very important, powerful, and practical practice to help all of us navigate the sobering, present reality of our world. So let's look this morning at the demon possessed boy, the desperate father, and the discouraged disciples. The demon possessed boy. There's a great painting that depicts the mountaintop experience juxtaposed with the sobering reality of our world. I wanted to show it to you. It's by an artist called Raphael. And you can see here the beauty of what's happening on the Mount of Transfiguration and then what's happening at the bottom of the mountain with it. I found an art commentator's explanation of it, and I just want to read it to you. So take a look at the picture and, and listen to the things he points out here. The uppermost parts of the picture point to the transfiguration of Jesus, with Moses on the left and Elijah on his right. On the next level down, there are the three disciples Peter, James, and John recently awakened and shielding their eyes from Jesus' blinding brilliance. Then on the ground level, there is a poor, demon-possessed boy, his mouth hideously gaping with wild ravings. At his side, his desperate father. Surrounding them are the rest of the disciples, some of them who are pointing upward to the glowing figure of Christ. Who will be the boy's only answer? Raphael has brilliantly captured something of the overwhelming contrast, juxtaposition, between the glorious Mount of Transfiguration and the troubled world waiting below. It's interesting, if you take a moment to examine the Bible, Scripture is full of examples where the journey inward towards God and outward journey towards the world have a significant contrast. Let me point out a few, if I could. Moses descended from Mount Sinai in Exodus from his mountaintop experience. DJ actually referred to it last week, where the transcendence of God was very real in Exodus chapter 33. And after Moses had seen the glory of God, he comes down off of the mountain into the rebellion and idolatry of a recently saved people. Elijah has a very similar experience, too, where he leaves the quiet whisper and presence of God in Horeb in 1 Kings chapter 19 to have to then immediately face the paganism of Jezebel and Ahab. Jesus himself is driven from the power and beauty of his baptism and God's declaration that this is his son directly into the wilderness and the temptation of the devil. And now we have the transfiguration, a true mountaintop experience contrasted, juxtaposed with the sobering reality of evil's presence in the world. wonder this morning if you're familiar with experiences like this. Sometimes it's maybe coming off of a retreat, maybe even just a vacation, and then we say things like coming back to reality. We had a great trip to Guatemala, and yes, coming home can be tough. Seeing the movement of God in powerful and practical ways, seeing people give their life to Jesus, meeting the needs of those who are struggling, and then coming home to have to deal with certain realities. Sometimes I think we can experience these in just many moments of our lives. It doesn't necessarily have to be a crazy week-long experience, but I would argue that even in the midst of our Guatemala trip, we were experiencing these many juxtapositions. That on Wednesday afternoon, we went to the hospital, and in the hospital, some of the guys were able to go into the men's ward and see just this beautiful picture of sadness and as we came in with the hope of the gospel the whole energy of the room be transformed. Jared Rosson wrote about it on his Facebook post. I'd encourage you to go read it. It's a beautiful picture of what happened when light came into darkness and then that was quickly juxtaposed with another pair who were in the middle of the Nick Ward and saw a baby die in front of them. And the family crying out in agony and pain. From the mountaintop to the sobering reality of life. In Guatemala, we'd be walking through the mountains, moved by the glorious gorgeousness of what God had created. And then turn a corner into the extreme poverty of people who had nothing but a hut built with mud and barely any food to survive. The demon-possessed boy here teaches us something about what it means to follow Jesus. What our journey in this life will entail. It's not going to be all mountaintop experiences. It's going to be filled with encounters where the sobering reality of the evil that exists in our world will be crushing. People often suppose that the early years of our Christian life can be the difficult ones. When we're first making our transitions from our Patterns or our sin habits and struggles to following Jesus, and that as you go on in your Christian life, it gets more straightforward and easy. But it's interesting, the longer we follow Jesus, I would argue many of us would agree with this statement that it's actually exactly the opposite. We understand that the world is actually more broken and more evil than we realized, that our sin goes way deeper and is way more complicated than we ever imagined, and the path of suffering is actually the path that Jesus invited us into. You see, what's going on here is this. It's the reality that we can't fight evil. Evil can't be eradicated. It can't be locked up. Not by us. And the more violence we use against it, the stronger it gets. That's the suffering Jesus tells us about. It's the suffering he says you'll experience in this life, and that's what the disciples' experience was when they came down off the mountain. Now, some of us just try to ignore evil. That's why we live in the suburbs. But some of us are struggling. Some of us are on the edge of the cliff and we're about to lose heart. We get to a place where we wonder if we can change the world, change their situations, if we can even change. And the sobering reality is that when we come down off the mountain, what Jesus is showing us here is that it won't be easy. Some of you are like, man, Brian, that must have been a tough mission trip. (laughs) (laughs) Hang with me. There's hope in this passage. So to those of you who are about to lose heart, What posture do we need to not lose heart? The person in this passage that Mark desperately wants to point out to all of us is the Father. He is the one who has lost heart. He is the one who sees the evil in the world and wishes it was different. He is the one, the only one, Who is desperate? And watch what happens. In verses 23 and 24, he's engaging with Jesus and he says this crazy thing to Jesus in verse 22 But if you can do anything, he says to Jesus. And Jesus says, which is somewhat of a question, and then with an exclamation, if you can? All things are possible for one who believes. And then we see the beauty of the cry of desperation in the Father where he says, I believe, help my unbelief. DJ talked last week about the transcendence of God, what the glory of God is. The the glory of God is all that God is and all that God does because of who he is. It's the the weightiness of what he is and our, our desperate need for that and how he shows that on the Mount of Transfiguration. And here Jesus and the gospel writer Mark are helping us see how when we come into the sobering reality of life, How does the transcendence of God help us, or where can we find it? And the bridge between frail humanity and the all-sufficient God is faith, belief. One can be amazed by a miracle, but one can only trust and believe in a person. The desperate father cries out, Without pressing too deeply in here, I would argue it's a desperation that many of us would be uncomfortable with. He's the only figure in this entire scene that displays his weakness. True faith is always aware of how small and inadequate it is. The Father becomes a believer not when he amasses a sufficient quantum of faith, but when he risks everything on what little faith he has. Hear that again, because I, I think sometimes in our Christian quirky language meme culture that we put on facebook where we we often think that there's this should be this immense amount of faith or this perfect amount of faith that we're called to have but here we see that the father becomes a believer not when he amasses a sufficient quantum of faith but when he risks everything with the tiny amount of faith that he has when he yields his insufficiency to the true sufficiency of Jesus, which is the principle that he gives to us here. Faith is yielding our insufficiency, what we don't have, to the sufficiency of Jesus. Sometimes Christians try to teach that faith is an all-or-nothing posture. You either have faith or you don't. You either believe or you don't, but this Father shows us something about faith and belief that is so encouraging to my soul, and it's this. We're all a mixture of belief and unbelief. When you have pursued God in repentant helplessness is when you have worshiped him. I imagine it like a crossroads, really. When we have that sobering reality moment, that place of desperation and frustration at the evil that there is in this life, what's happening is our heart is longing for the transcendence of God. It's recognizing that we need something outside of ourselves. So the question is, which path will we take? Will we take the path of crying out to God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Or where we take the path away from God. What might lead us to ask, how then can we take the path to God? Which leads us to the discouraged disciples, where we see the way to take the wrong path. The disciples tried prayerless exorcism for the same reason they couldn't understand why Jesus was going to die. They just didn't see how weak and proud they were. So after Jesus steps onto the scene and he heals the boy, the disciples in the quietness of the house Ask him, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus offers this simple explanation. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but but prayer. And if I could paraphrase just a little bit, the only way to deal with the sobering reality of the evil that exists in our world is by prayer. Prayer. think what Jesus is trying to say here is that we can only experience and will only experience the transcendence and healing that our hearts desperately long for in the sobering reality of the world through prayer. The world cannot imagine a power that changes things without coercion, that does not depend on human effort, but instead relies on human participation in the healing power of prayer through the Spirit. Hear this one more time. The world cannot imagine a power that changes things without coercion, that does not depend on human effort, but instead relies on human participation in the healing power of prayer through the Spirit. And my question to us, church, today is, what about you? Can you imagine a power that would change the world? When the church turns to coercion to change the world, it becomes indistinguishable from the world. But when it prays among the pain, when it is present in God's presence in the brokenness, when it proclaims forgiveness and healing in Jesus, it becomes the space that makes possible his, God's, Jesus's change in the world's and our hearts not to despair. What do we need when we encounter the sobering reality of life? We need transcendence. We need God's glory. We need the mountain. And Jesus, in a very practical and simple application with his disciples here, he says, the only way is prayer. Prayer is connected with spiritual power. Prayer is faith Turn to God. Prayer is the focusing and directing of faith in specific requests to God. Both faith and prayer testify that spiritual power is not in oneself but in God alone, and both wait and trust upon His promise to save. Jesus shows us that we have a perennial problem of prayerlessness. The disciples are discouraged and afraid to ask Jesus for help. Are you? When we were driving home Friday night, our plane was supposed to land at 11.50. It landed at 12.15. It was an 18-hour travel day from door to door. Don't be discouraged by that. It's a great trip. You should go next year. (laughs) My oldest daughter, Darby, was willing and desiring to pick me up from the airport. And we're driving home, and I'm recounting some of the stories with her and how we were able to deliver some of the basic necessities, oil, rice, beans, salt, to these families in these villages. It's almost impossible to describe for you the simplicity of the way that they were living in these villages and about how we were able to come alongside these pastors and and bless bless them with food that may last a week or two and darby at one point she asked me she said do you think it helped do you think you made a difference hmm. and it struck me I think there was something about meeting their basic needs that was helpful. But there was one thing that happened in every house, at every hospital bed, with every person that we encountered that they asked for. Prayer. it made me wonder if I believed in a transforming power that could change the world. Because here were people who had literally nothing. And in the midst of their weakness and their helplessness, they said, pray. It was the moment of need and realizing we can't fix things. It's that moment that could drive us to despair. But at least for a few days when I felt like there was nothing to do or nothing I could do, I found myself crying out to God saying, I believe, but help me, help me believe that you're at work in the midst of an evil and dark world. Church, if you're struggling, if you're wondering what's going on, if you're desperate, I'm going to simply ask you, would you this week just utter that simple prayer? I believe, help me. how does that work? That's what I want the disciples to say right there. When Jesus says, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, I want them to go, how does that work? (laughs) And I don't know how it works. But I know that's what Jesus said to do. And so simply, practically... I can stand up here all day long and tell you how beautiful a place Guatemala was. But until you go and see it, until you experience it, you won't really know. And I could sit up here all day long and from this stage tell you how prayer is where you will experience and find the transcendent God who promises to triumph over evil who promises to love you no matter what, who promises to transform you and protect you. But until you, in that moment of weakness, will cry out to him, it'll just be something that you know. And I think what I'm inviting you into is to experience that. But until you come to that place like the father, the desperate father, we'll just probably believe there's another power that can solve the problem. Now, how do we know that God wants to meet us in the sobering reality of this world? There is one important practical thing that helps us here in this passage that really truly does give us hope, and it's where I'll conclude Jesus suffers everything for you and for me. The sobering reality of evil in this world crushed him. And he allowed it to crush him. And Jesus was crushed for you and for me. Why? To give us hope. Because he gives us hope through being raised again. The true sufficiency of Jesus is displayed through the resurrection. And if I could just go to Easter Sunday for a moment here. Mark, as he's turning the corner here, we've been talking about how the book of Mark, we're hitting, about to hit this hard turn. We, we're coming over the cliff. And so Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and he says everything's about to change and God is present and Moses and Elijah, this crazy moment of God's transcendence and appearance. And then they walk back down. And as they're walking down, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 10 of chapter 9, he looks over at them and he tells them, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Jesus says to them, I'm going to rise from the dead. And they're like, what does that mean? How does that work? And what Jesus says to them as he does, he says, I'm going to show you how it works. So what does he do? I believe he raises this kid from the dead. Look at the language that Mark uses. It's incredibly intentional. We've been studying Mark for almost a year, and if anything with anything that we've learned, Mark is very intentional about every word that he uses. Let me read for you again. Verse 26, After crying out and convulsing terribly, the demon came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that many of them said, What? He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now hang tight with me. When you say, you're on the ground, and the boy did what? You would say, He got up. Jesus lifted him up. When you say a rose, I mean, do I have to keep preaching here? Or are you guys with me? When he says a rose, Mark is saying, If you need to know that someone has the power to overcome and defeat and destroy evil and to bring hope into this destructive and brutal, evil world, let me show you. I will say, arise. Because resurrection is the ultimate defeat of the ultimate evil. Jesus suffered and died and rose so that we could have everything we need. And so he wants us to experience that The boy shows us we can't fix anything. The father shows us that we are helpless and in desperate need of someone. And the disciples show us that the path to that someone, the path to the one who has the power over evil, the path to the one who has resurrection power is prayer. Prayer to the one who has the power to raise from the dead. May we become a people who, in our helplessness, pursue the transcendent through prayer. Let's pray. Awesome God. This world can be so overwhelming. So we, in the simplicity of this moment, look at the resurrection of this boy. Remember the resurrection of your Son. And we ask you, help us. We believe, but we need you to help our unbelief. We believe, but we desperately long to see that you are defeating evil. We believe, but we need to see your glory. So show us your glory and help our unbelief. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.